accepting that suffering is just feedback. It's actually, it's just feedback saying, oh, you're going really hard right now. This is uncomfortable. Oh, okay. So what do I need to do about it? A feedback and you come up with an action plan. Feedback, action, feedback, action, feedback, action. Hey guys, welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. This is a show where we make it easier for you to get out of your comfort zone through conversation, community and challenge. So hopefully you can go out and find where the magic happens for you. So today, as always, I have another pretty sweet guest for you. Her name is Jess Douglas um, from Australia. So when Jess was 14, she was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma and went through chemotherapy treatment back in 1987. So we have a little bit of a chat about about that today. But Jess also has a background in 24-hour mountain bike racing and she's won three world championships in this as well as three Australian national championships too. But the funny thing with Jess, though, is that she wasn't super competitive when, when she was younger. She was actually scared of sport and scared of competition. So she's kind of built that competitive side within her. So we'd have a little bit of a talk about that. But then since retiring, Jess has also had to learn how to let go of that competitive side, which is also super, super uncomfortable. So we get into how Jess went through that as well. And a couple of the other topics that we cover how you get things done, how you go about just taking the next step. We talk about looking for proof of the things that we want to go out and do. We talk about the validation process and and how we can self-validate. We talk about the importance of pressure points in our life and, and what comes from them. And Jess gives us a little bit of an insight into learning how to suffer, which I think is, is pretty valuable. So guys, I hope you enjoy this chat with, with Jess today. I had a great, great time with her and I'm sure to get her back on the podcast at some point because there's a lot of other stuff that we didn't talk about today that I want to have a chat with her about. If you like the episode, make sure that you share this out with your mates. I think it is a lot of value in this. But thank you guys so much for getting uncomfortable with Jess and I today. Jess Douglas, welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I can't wait to talk to you, Chris. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty exciting, actually. Why don't you start with, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to twist it around a little bit. Why don't you start with how you came across the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast, first of all? Yeah, well, look, with my, I'm a cycling coach and with my group of cyclists, we pretty much into sharing as much information as we can to help each other grow. And one of my athletes shared with me, Uncomfortable is Okay podcast, and said, I've been listening to this while I've been on bike rides, and it's really helped me compartmentalize all my issues and problems or things holding me back, blah, blah, blah. And I went, awesome. I'm about to do something really uncomfortable that I need podcasts to listen to for many days, a 1,000-kilometer mountain bike bike packing race. And so I was climbing, I was out of the border of Victoria in Australia and New South Wales, and it was like about a a two-hour climb. And I listened to a couple of podcasts in a row from you, and it was like, whoa, I had all these light bulbs go off. Oh, geez, I can't remember who it was that you were talking to now. 
it was an Aussie. It was an Australian guy. And anyway, I was talking. Oh, he, he was involved with doing sort of mentoring with business groups. Oh, yeah, and, Digby, Digby Scott. Yes, yeah. yes. He's amazing, he yeah, was, I love him. Yeah, and he was talking about at one point in time when he was someone got in contact with him to redo some program that he'd done every other year and he realised this is the year that I'm no longer interested or invested, this doesn't excite me and that there was some question that he asked himself that if it wasn't an enthusiastic yes, that he wasn't going to get involved and mm. it was like I am doing so many things in my life at the moment. I say yes to things and I've been saying yes to things for so long because I'm always interested in who I might meet, opportunities that might present themselves or people I might be able to impact or people that will impact me. And sometimes you just get so used to just saying yes that you actually you actually dread undertaking that promise that you said you would. And it, that just really gelled with me at that time and it actually affected me the next day. Do you want me to tell you what happened? Yeah, tell me. Uh, tell me who you said no to. Well, here I was. I said no to myself. I'm on this 1,000-kilometre bikepacking race in Canberra and New South Wales in Australia, and I had done it the year before, but I hadn't yet finished it because I hit a wombat with about 200 kilometres to go, and I was out of it for half an hour. I had concussion, and I went to the hospital, and that was that. So I never got to finish it. This year I went back and my aim was to finish it. I didn't really know why I wanted to finish it. It was just a thousand kilometer race that perhaps maybe I had something to prove to myself. I don't know. I, I, I just went, yep, I'm going. So here I am and things are getting tough and, and things were getting tough with me being able to pedal. Things were getting tough with me. My plan had gone a bit astray and my lights weren't working and therefore I wasn't Things were unraveling and I was getting tired. And as I was getting tired, I wasn't thinking properly. And as I wasn't thinking properly, I was, I was going, okay, just keep going. My default in times of stress is to just hunker down, get it done. Don't worry about how bad I feel right now. Just take the next step, take the next step, take the next step. So I'm with my bike and it's really early in the morning and it was uh, 18 kilometres to go till I could eat something at a place that was going to be open and I was about 700 kilometres in and I had had really bad sleep that night and I was like, just keep going, Jess, just keep going and my other head was going, why bother, why bother? And I'm like, because you said you would, just, you know what, just keep pedalling and then all of a sudden, like, like a lightning bolt out of the sky, you don't have to finish this. No one's going to judge you. You're the only one judging yourself. Okay, why don't I need to finish this? Because it's actually a load of bullshit. <laughs> and it's just, what does it matter? What does it really matter? And I went, yeah, actually, you're right. I don't want to be here. I'm just finishing it purely based on not ruining my reputation or so that people don't go, she didn't finish. Okay, so what if you don't finish? Oh, you get to finish a day early and – um you get an extra day to recover and you just move on. And I went, that's so easy. I just move on. I don't have to finish this. I can say no right now. And it was like I had the biggest weight off my shoulders lift and I felt, you know, 30 kilos lighter. And that's that's how I used Digby's, uh, you know, follow through with everything that you said you would do. 
That's pretty awesome, actually. I'm going to have to tell Digby about that to let him know that his uh, his knowledge has been uh, been put to great use. Yeah, well, it was quite uncomfortable. I was like, I've come all this way. I spent all this money. I've invested. I'm I'm like three quarters of the way through this event. Why don't I just finish? How often, as people, do we go, oh, well, you know, I said I'd do it, so I will, or I was going to follow through, so I may as well. And it doesn't actually serve us. We only continue to persevere because we said we would and sometimes it is actually okay and it is part of the process and part of the lesson is to actually fail. The failure actually presented itself with other things that were really uncomfortable to address because now I have to address why don't I want to stop? Sorry, why do I want to stop? Why don't I want to go on? What will this mean if I don't finish? And all these things that if I just finished, it would have been easy. I just would have, could, could have got on with life. But now I had to address my situation. And that, that was uncomfortable. And I think that's a lot of reason why often we end up just doing what we said we would rather than putting a hiccup in the works, so to speak. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. And, and I think, like, you're, you're right there that, I mean, we kind of get caught up in this in the cycle of kind of agreeing to something or having feeling like we have an obligation to go and do something, and then the only reason that we kind of go and do it is actually because that we've we've said that we're going to do it, or we feel obliged, like we like we have to. And then some of those things are ridiculously hard, like writing a thousand Ks. That's I mean that's an uncomfortable thing in itself. But what's more uncomfortable from that is actually like stopping like I mean your your body would have held together and got you got yeah. you over the line eventually but actually kind of confronting that discomfort and and asking yourself those tough questions within that time as well whereas the the discomfort that comes from the physical side of things is much easier to put up with and actually those uncomfortable questions that circle around and kind of make us question our beliefs and our values and the reasons behind what we're what we're doing so I mean congratulations on, on making that tough decision at the time oh I want to tell you I still had to ride 100 kilometers to get out of that uncomfortable situation <laughs> <No>. <laughs> my uncomfortableness was not over yet <laughs> yeah yeah and then like on that on that 100 k's how many times did you ask yourself those same questions and how many times did you start to doubt yourself about whether you should have should keep going or definitely you should stop? Oh, look, that never entered my mind again. I'd made my decision, but I did have a couple of hissy fits because I was starting to get a bit tired. Mm. And, I pulled, and it was quite hot. It was about 32 degrees. And I pulled over on the side of the road and just sat in the shade, you know, like – like you see old Vietnamese ladies squatting down in the corner under the tree, just squatting. And I so I squatted down underneath the tree. So I didn't quite sit on my bum, but I just really squatted. And and I just held my hands in my head and just went, oh, 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 oh. I feel sorry for myself. And I went, okay, that's good. You've got that out of the system. Continue on. But it just like no one else was there to pat my back and say it's okay. 
that was kind of hard because we often want someone to confirm that our decision is good nor bad. But I had to take ownership of that. So I had like this Jessica sitting on my shoulder, patted my back for me and told me to get, you know, kicked me up my butt and told me to get going again. So it's like I I was having this this alter ego sort of conversation going on the whole time. So look, it it was tough, but I, I think it took me, I know, three and a half hours to get to this spot where someone was picking me up. And then they picked me up in a car and then we still had to get to Canberra back to my accommodation, which was still another two-hour drive away. And then I still had to then get back and then have a wash and have a shower. And, oh, my God, it was just like, where can I just finish this saga? (laughs) (laughs) It might might well have been easier just to continue on, you know, but I I didn't. And, you know, I guess this is what we'll talk about today uh, in this conversation is, you know, what, what did it mean? Yeah, and I, I want to jump into that, but there are a couple of things that you that you mentioned there that I think are worth kind of making a note of, and, and one of them is when you stopped and crouched down and had a bit of a cry, actually, and I think sometimes we, we repress that stuff and repress those, or we don't allow ourselves an outlet for, for those emotions or, or kind of some of the things when, when the going does get tough, and especially from kind of a trying to be a Kiwi or an Aussie bloke and and repress those those tough emotions that kind of bubble up but actually that's one of the things that is really important is that sometimes you just need to sit down and have a cry and uh, get it out of your system and and experience those emotions so that you can Mm. move through them and move past them thank you for thank you for sharing that and thank you for kind of making it a a talking point there and the other one I uh, that I wanted to just make a note of was the that kind of we're wired to seek validation that we want mm-hmm. people to say yep that's that's right you've you've made the right decision you've made the right call all the time and i mean no one no one else outside of us kind of knows our situation as well as we do or knows what's what's going on so sometimes we need to be the person that creates that validation for ourselves like with the with the jest that you've got sitting on your shoulder saying okay no you can you can do this you've made the right decision whereas if you'd had someone else there they were like well actually maybe you should have kept going and maybe you should just turn back and jump back on on the course but they haven't had to confront that hard stuff that you have and haven't had to answer those tough questions so is their validation really what we're looking for at that point in time Mm. And I, I think I think we do in in everything that we do, and I think it poses a lot of problems sometimes. Is uh, we lose touch with making the right decision with our heart and our mind, and combining that decision and constantly saying to someone else, "Do you think I've made that right decision?" And because I didn't have anyone there to ask, I have to I had to actually ask my heart and my my mind. Are we going to be okay with this on Monday? And that's something that I always say to my athletes. is on the weekend, whatever decision you make with a race or a training goal or whatever, you just need to ask yourself, will I regret this decision come Monday morning? And that's what I asked myself on this day was, all right, you're pulling out of this race. Everyone's going to think something different about why you didn't finish or why you, why you pulled out. But at the end of the day, You've got to live with yourself come Monday morning. Are you okay with this, Jess? And I went, yep, I am. I'm not sure exactly what this means yet, but I'm excited. And, Chris, I'll tell you one thing that I've come to learn 
but every time that I've put myself in an uncomfortable situation where I've had to confront my own inner self, and I think this is what people are afraid of, they're going to find out what they're really made of. Every time I've had to be confronting that and making decisions in uncomfortable situations, it's like a pressure point. And you know that saying about, you know, diamonds are made under pressure and out of that will come something amazing on the other side. So I just went through with it and, and yeah, it took a while, but I, the relief, part of it, I know we haven't gone into this yet. In 2016, I retired from 24-hour solo mountain bike racing and I had been striving towards being a three-times world champion and a three-times national champion for so many years and to sort of let go of that competitive side of me felt well as part of that validation process so I think I've been seeking these events that are going to validate my efforts and then I realized actually it's just racing bikes who cares you know how I'm going to get joy out of my life and, and add value to the world and, and be a happy and and compassionate Jess is to stop worrying about these races that used to define me and you know it, it led me to where I am today I guess which is we can explore that if you like yeah yeah I, I definitely want to to jump into that and actually why don't we um why don't we do that now and then what we can do is we can come back around and we'll, we'll get back to what you learned from uh saying yeah, no sure. to yourself at towards the end of it I, I would imagine if I'm any good at as a podcast uh question asker um <laughs> oh, oh I should just write that down actually so I don't forget it <laughs> but Jess I mean, we've, we've gone on a bit of a segue, we've gone on a little bit of a tangent, because how I usually start these conversations is by asking people kind of who they are, where they're from, what, mm. uh, were there any kind of formative experiences in, in your younger years that have shaped you as the, the Jess that you are today, or the Jess that you once were and now you've kind of transitioned out of? As a child... I grew up as definitely someone who avoided all sport at all costs and I avoided competition at all costs because I was afraid of it. In fact, I grew up thinking that anyone that played sport was obviously an Olympian and uh, or at least was going to be an Olympian when they grew up. So I thought, well, I'm not that. And I didn't have any role model to sort of look at and think, yeah, yeah, I could. that, that would be me. So, yeah, as I said, I was definitely not into sport. However... I had some teachers when I was about 11 years old who were teaching us in Australia. They were teaching us bike ed and I already had a bike and I loved riding my bike and in bike ed we learned about road safety and how to ride on the road and we went on this, it culminated in this big sort of bike camp where we rode 30 kilometres, stayed the night, rode back and I went, oh wow, I can ride my bike long distances. Here I am, 11, 12 years old. I'm going to start riding places. That's my thing. So that was one of my formative sort of, I guess, moments where I realized cycling is the, the thing that really gels with me. Uh, and then in 1987, I was diagnosed with cancer. I had Hodgkin's lymphoma. I had a year's worth of chemotherapy. I won't say I relished having cancer, but I certainly, I didn't fear it. I remember there's something that I was obviously kind of blessed with, and I don't know why, but as I said to you earlier, whenever I am facing adversity or facing uncomfortableness I often go okay well on the other side of this is obviously something really good that I'm going to learn or all right there's going to be something that comes out of this so I'll just face it 
I'll do what needs to be done and I'll do it the best I can. So when I found out that I had cancer, I just went, all right. So I said to my mum, okay, we're going to eat organic food. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And it was no problem because my mum was a bit of a hippie. And so we grew our own sprouts and ground our own wheat and made our own bread and did all these things. And, and I believed that in my headspace that if I believed I could cure myself from in here and in here and in my gut and everything else plus the chemotherapy, then I was going to live. So I, I just fed myself positive thoughts and did positive things every day. I used to paint, I used to sew, I used to um, create things. I was a bit of a creative sort of person. I used to ride my bike and never believed that I would once die. And obviously I, I lived. And so that was 1987. And then a couple of years later, I did a couple of things called the Great Victorian Bike Ride, which is riding your bike for nine days in a row and they carry around your gear for you. And I did that two years in a row. I absolutely loved it. Went, oh, I could do this forever. So as you can see, the, there's a little bit of adversity in my life with the cancer. And then there's, a, I just loved going long. Then, of course, uh, in 1991, I married my husband. We've been together 27 years. We actually married 27 years this, this December. We went to this water theme park in Sydney uh, in the summer. And you know those really fast speed slides where they're really steep, you go down really fast? Um, he wanted to take me down that. And here I am at 18 years of our age saying, no way, I'm not going to do that. And he said, well, what's the problem? And I said, well, it's just scary. And he said, but what can actually happen to you? What are you afraid of? And I said, I don't know. And he said, well, that's not good enough. You have to come and have a look at this. We're going to stand at the bottom and then you have to tell me why you do or do not want to do this. So I stood at the bottom, watched these people going down the speed slide and realized nothing bad came of them. Actually, they were all laughing and they were all having fun and a few people were pulling wedgies out of their bum, but they were generally having a really good time. And I thought, well, I don't have a good excuse other than I'm afraid. So he said, well, why don't we do it once and then you can tell me what you think. So I did it once and I went, okay. I'm done. I'm sold. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. So I did the speed slide after that. And then I realized that I had, my husband had taught me some very, very good strategies. And that is to look at people before you, to look for proof, to look for those adventurous types before you that have done something that seems really hard and impossible and find out, oh, how did they do it? We're all human. Some of us are born with extraordinary talents, absolutely, but we're still vulnerable and we still can learn and we still can put ourselves out there to learn. And so every time I've faced a situation that I'm scared of, even if I don't have the proof, I always know that someone has done it before me and that if I just take a step forward, I will start to learn on the fly, I will come out of it. It'll be fine. I'm not about to jump out of a plane without a parachute, you know. The kind of things that I'm doing aren't, aren't life-threatening. Sometimes, like, I've gone into business and lost a lot of money and I've, you know, gone and done 1,000-kilometer bike races that I couldn't finish. I've met myself at 1 o'clock in the morning in a 24-hour race and wondered why the hell am I here. You know, it's not real big threatening things. But, yeah, so that... That's kind of like a quick overview. And then as I, I guess we got married and I had my daughter at 21 because one of the reasons I had my daughter then was uh, because I had cancer 
and I'd had chemotherapy, I was told that I might not be able to have children. So I thought, well, I'm married, I'm young, I'm poor, I've got no money. I, if I want to have children, I better find out now. So we had her, her name's Saskia, she's now 24. Uh, so obviously I was able to have children, I survived cancer and I was fertile, I was able to have a child. So I went tick, 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 got that done. And then through my 20s, I played Aussie Rules football, I umpired Aussie Rules football, I rode riverboats, I rode surfboats. I became a personal trainer, even though I thought that I wasn't worthy of being a personal trainer because I was never sporty as a kid. But I, I excelled at all these things. And I, I was like, why, why is this non-sporty Jess good at all this stuff? And I realized that I had set myself up from a very young age. I knew how to suffer and I knew how to push through that sufferance when other people would give up like that. And they would give up at a moment and just say, it's too hard. And I just had something inside me that was willing to persevere. So at 32, I started the process of mountain biking and took up mountain biking, took it seriously. And one day I did this race and I really loved it. And I said to my friend, I'm going to become really good. I'm going to get sponsored. I'm going to do this. I'm going to win some races. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I'm really going to give it a crack. And she said to me, Jess, you're 32. I think it's a bit past that. You know, there's other really awesome people out there. You might not, you know, I just want to sort of tell you, don't get your hopes up too much. And I said, well, why can't I, you know, why can't I try and do something? And, I, you know, I'm not stupid. I'm not thinking I'm going to win a million dollars because I'm an awesome mountain biker. I just want to get out there and do it. So at that point in time, with my personal training hat on, my adversity hat on, and the way that I saw how I would get to that point was I developed this little rule and it by no means do I have the monopoly on it, but it was just simply if I'm going to get better to try to become, I guess, a champion mountain biker, I just have to start at the start. Too much, too often, especially these days, we see people deciding, oh, you know, I want a million dollars tomorrow. I want to lose 10 kilos in one week. You know, I won't try and reach for that goal unless I can see the results within a couple of weeks. So I decided, no, well, I, I, I can't achieve that goal in a couple of weeks because the progression is too quick. I, I have to work and I, I'm not willing to break bones because I've always I've got another saying, I've got shit to do tomorrow so I don't break bones. I occasionally just hit wombats and I've broken some teeth. But um, back then, it was the January of 2006, I invented this saying and that was go out one day a week and improve one element of my mountain biking by 1%. And if I do that every week for one month and do that continuously for a year, those little one percenters will compound. And in fact, the one percenters turn into 2% before too long. And then the two percenters turn into 5% because you're having so much fun that you no longer want to go out one day a week for one hour. You want to go out two times a week for two hours. And of course, that inevitably leads to overtraining and other things. But, you know, that's fine. That's part of the process. It's like the stock market. Everything goes up and then it comes down again. And you find that equilibrium. But generally, you've got this upwards trend of learning without the fear of I'm not going to be able to cope with that because I thought to myself okay you know there's supreme mountain bikers out there that are born out of the womb as supreme mountain bikers but they are the top 0.1 percent of, of women out there everyone else just works hard and I went all right I'm not afraid of hard work but if I break it down into these one percenters I can't fail how can I fail how can I fail at getting better by the end of this year if I apply that rule 
And so I applied it and I got better. And then, of course, after that year, I, I had to reassess my goals and I went, just start at the start again. Just go by that 1%. Yeah, I, I love that rule. It's it's an amazing one, um, and it's definitely one that I, I wanted to, to have a chat with you about because I think, as you were saying earlier, it's a a lot of people when they start things think, yeah, I wanna I wanna have a million dollars tomorrow. Yeah, want to be able to win a mountain bike world championship uh, next week. I want my podcast to be better than Tim Ferriss and Joe Rogan's uh, by next month. Yeah, but. Um, <laughs> They seriously underestimate kind of the amount of work and the amount of graft that is required to actually achieve something like that and um, and then go out and, and try and go really hard and try and get 100% better every day. And I mean, there are people out there that can do that probably for quite short periods of time, I would imagine. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you can, you can definitely cram things in for short mm. blocks. But I think, like, I, re- I really love that approach is that you're, you're looking to improve by, by 1% a, a week or kind of as you as you evolve, sort of 1% a day or, or a little bit more than that. And that's, that's something that's very manageable and that's something that is, uh, is definitely not outside or not very far outside a lot of people's comfort zones just to get 1% better a day or 1% better a week and just kind of mm. slowly push yourself. But once you look back six months or a year later, you, you just kind of think, oh, shit, I've come a long way from where mm. I, from the person that I was then and, and the skill set that I have and my ability at that point oh. in time as well. A lot of people won't start at the start, Chris, because they're so afraid that – oh, no, I, I shan't use the word afraid, but they think that the investment is not worthwhile – you know, the gains won't be good enough, so why bother? And it's like it is so worth it. And I think I, I shared with you one of my quotes that I like to look at about the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but the next best time is now. So we yeah. always look for that perfect time to start or not now, I'm not fit enough or I'm not, you know, whatever. Just start now, do one thing. So when my athletes are maybe not able to train because they're injured or sick, and I say, well, what can we do that will still take you forward towards your goals? And sometimes it might be learning. It might be hopping on the internet and doing some research. It might be reading a book. It might be working on mental strength. It might be cleaning your bike because you're injured. So why not let's use this time to clean your bike so that when you're better, your bike is all brand new again. Either way, they are one percenters that are propelling you towards your goal. Yeah, 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 definitely. And I mean, there's always something that you can do. I mean, it might even just be making sure that you're getting good night's sleep so that you mm. recover a little bit better as well. That's um, a big one percenter. Mm, yeah, yeah, there's probably more than one percent for most people, actually. I don't know how many people uh, sleep sleep enough. With, with that rule, obviously, you, you apply it to your mountain biking. Do you also apply it to other areas of your life? Yes. And do you also, I was hoping you were going to say that, but do you also kind of strategize how you're going to apply those 1% and kind of what you're going to be working on sort of in advance? Or is that something that just sort of comes up for you as you, as you go out and start doing stuff? Look, I think if you could look at it like a, if you could, Compare it to something. Let's let's call it a big a veggie garden out in your backyard. And first of all, you know, you've got to get your soil all ready and you might decide that you're gonna grow this veggie garden and so you, you you know those planter boxes and then you get some manure and soil in it and you get it ready 
and then you're finally ready to put some different things in. You might do a bit of research as to what month it is, and I don't own a garden. <laughs> no, I'm just coming up with this on the fly. You might do a little bit of research as to what is the best thing to plant at this time of year. And then you might just go, well, look, we're just going to freestyle it a bit because this is the first time I've grown a veggie garden and I'll see what happens. And then as you plant and then as some bugs come in or some crows come in and pick away at your seeds or whatever, as the weeds come up, as, as the vegetables come up and as you start to learn, over that, that next six months of learning about your vegetable garden, it kind of your skill set grows and the different things that you start to decide on initially started with the thought process is I want to grow my own veggies, but it evolves and mm. then you all of a sudden your pumpkin takes, you, you know, you might have pumpkin and zucchini that takes on really well and you end up with too much. Uh, so you start giving it away or all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, we're going to have pumpkin soup every night. So the the goal becomes well, initially I want to grow my veggie garden, but all these little things come from that. And so you're talking about strategies. I would say I often come up with a vision, a life vision, and I put in a few seeds and I sort of just nurture them and I let them sort of come about organically because I feel that's more in tune with how I like to live my life. Yes, I like to plan and yes, I like to understand why my purpose etc etc is there but I also like to wing it because that puts the strategies to test and often when I race I often like a little bit of adversity and a little bit of uncomfortableness to come because that makes me take action it makes me think it makes me solve problems and whilst I'm solving problems that then enables me to learn more about I guess, how to do life. I'm not afraid of the problems that pop up. I'm not afraid of solving them on the fly. I'm not afraid of, shit, that didn't go to plan. I just lost 10 grand. Oh, well, start again. You know what I mean? It's too many people are afraid. They want to get everything perfect, but they're so busy planning, 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 that that last two months that you've spent planning, you could have been doing and learning. And while you're learning, this is like the university of life, just invest. Every day is an investment. It's not a loss. Mm. And if you spend that time planning, you, you could have been learning. And is that something that you've always, like a, an approach that you've always had, Jess? Or is that something that you, that you try and cultivate as well as that kind of, that sort of looking, looking at life that way? Look, I, I definitely think, I probably didn't know about it when I was younger, but as I've grown older and become more aware of my learning style and my doing style, I'd have to say that I nurture that a bit more. Mm. I, I definitely do. I, I put myself out there. I come up with a bit of a, like when I go on bike rides, I come up with a bit of a loose plan. I know things will go wrong and I'm cool with that. And I, I know there are some people that I, I hang about with and, and, you know, all of a sudden something will go wrong and it's like, boom, you know, it's like the world is, the world is blown up and you're just like, oh, well, we can solve that. Yeah, but now we're not going to get that 200K ride that we thought we are going to get. Oh, we'll get 150. Yeah, but I was going to do 200. How, you know, and, and it's like, be flexible. And I think that's, that's a really cool thing to 
an attribute, a skill mm. to to embrace is to be flexible. I mean, how do you how do you cultivate that flexibility within yourself? I mean, it, it's probably not something that you've that you've always had. And as you said, you competitive nature that developed after your fear of competition was something that was driving you to finish that thousand uh, mm. k race. But you had the flexibility at that point in time to say no, actually. I'm not going to I'm not going to finish that. I mean are there things that you do like on a daily, weekly, monthly basis that kind of you feel help help you improve your your flexibility in terms of dealing with stuff in life? Yeah, look, maybe I haven't done so much in recent times, although that 1000k race was recent. But the most the thing that I would do the most is put myself in uncomfortable situations. Mm. Like literally forcibly, actively engage in uncomfortableness, like yeah. making a note of it. So one of the things I used to do when I was training quite a lot and I still wanted to win 24-hour races is I would go out on bike rides at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon in winter when it gets dark really quickly and I would say to my husband, okay, I'm going out for a ride. I put some Facebook photos up and I'll note where, they are, where I am but don't come and pick me up. I'll get home. I don't have any lights with me. I haven't taken any food. I only have one bottle of water, and that is deliberately so that I I want to fail. I want to come home in the dark with no lights and no food and be hungry and suffer. And it was fun. It was so fun because you know you as it got darker, you'd have to ride slower, and but then you would have to just trust because you could see a little bit as it gets darker. Your eyes sort of adjust to the darkness and then you would be hungry and your stomach would be rumbly you'd have a you know a hunger flat and you'd have to ride carefully because you didn't take any spares with you and that was deliberate as well and that was the best fun you know stuff like that when you just go let's see if I can survive this like little mini tests Mm. And I mean, that is exactly the same as kind of your, your approach to the training and the things that you do as well is that you kind of come up with that, with that vision. They're like, this is, this is what I want to do. And then you, and then you start and you go with that and you kind of encounter obstacles as you go along Yes. and and obstacles that you weren't expecting when you, when you first went out, um, that you need to kind of overcome, whether that's just that it's got dark or you've got hungry. And then that's kind of over working on overcoming them and using the word strategically uncomfortable is probably uh, almost goes against what we're talking about. But I, I, I like people to get uncomfortable on a regular basis. And so sometimes I call it strategically uncomfortable. Mm. That you put yourself in these, in these positions so that you can develop um, the flexibility and the resilience. Um, mm. and, you, and you do it with something that is slightly outside of your comfort zone not something that as you were saying like jumping out of a plane without a parachute which is is just completely beyond <laughs> what, what most people are capable of but like something that is going to be challenging but you're pretty sure that you have the skill set to, to overcome and mm. that that kind of strategic discomfort builds your resilience and builds your ability to to handle a challenge and builds your ability to deal with the uncomfortable situations that kind of arise, whether it's in in training or whether it's in in something that you've kind of semi planned for, or whether that is something that just life throws up at you and you and you need to mm. handle. 
Yeah, and, and, you know, there's other things that I do. Even just, let's say, you've got to ring up someone or a business or or someone that you really don't want to make a phone call with or, or have a meeting with or an altercation with because all you can do is think about the worst-case scenario of what's going to happen. And when you actually enter into that that conversation or it could even be just as simple as letting the telephone company know that you can't pay your bill could you work out a payment plan and then you go I was shitting myself but I went in there with a bit of an idea of what I wanted to achieve and I just I just dealt with it and this is the funny thing it's like I often talk about how I won all my races and how I've I guess gotten to the point where I am today is that there was nothing special is that I just faced it. I just got on with it. I got to that point of uncomfortable and then went that extra 1% above. And I tell you what, so many people can go to that 99%. It's the people that go to that next one over to the 100, just over the lip of the hill, and it's a lonely place. Not many people go there because it, it just gets too hard. And once you get there, you realise, actually, the only thing hard about this is that I'm not sitting in bed at the moment like everyone else is or I'm not sitting down having a rest like everyone else is. It's actually, it is uncomfortable. It's really, we, we are, I think we are wired to want to sit on the couch and drink a hot chocolate with a blanket over our knees, watching a good TV show. But what is that, where does that expand you? Where does that test you? It doesn't. It's just really comfortable. So... What I think I, in a nutshell, what I think I've learned even now with this race that I failed at most recently is that I think the thing that I still like to do the most is I like to be uncomfortable, but I've realized I don't need to win anymore. I don't care about that. But I still, I love, love, love being uncomfortable and love, I guess, problem solving on the fly. Yeah, very cool, very cool. And uh, like one of the things that you were kind of been emailing about is you see people kind of holding themselves back from their potential. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming that you're talking about the the people that are almost sort of either sitting on the couch with their hot chocolate uh, watching watching Netflix, or those people that are kind of going to 95, 99% of the way, then actually things get uncomfortable and then they stop and they pull back. Whereas actually if you if you take that extra 1%, that's when shit starts to get real and things yeah. get exciting. Again, correct me if I'm wrong with this, but I think like one of the things that sort of allows you to go that extra 1% is something that you mentioned before and in, in your ability to enjoy suffering and work through suffering because it, it's not always it's not always fun getting uncomfortable mm. like that and it, and it's often challenging so I, i'd love to hear your thoughts on how to get good at suffering well accepting that suffering is just feedback it's actually it's just feedback saying oh you're going really hard right now this is uncomfortable oh okay so what do i need to do about it a feedback and you come up with an action plan feedback action feedback action feedback action and that, that's exhausting in itself because think about the time that you've been in through the last six weeks. It's, you've probably got decision fatigue. Mm. <laughs> it's just, oh, do I have to make another decision based on this? I mean, I know we've got to, we've got to make these decisions, but I just want to think about nothing for a bit. And that's, as humans, we, we just want to think about nothing for a bit. 
and when you have to make decisions and take action, that is exhausting. But when you take action and you get a result from it because of your simple decision to take action and other people look at you and go, wow, that's amazing. And you go, no, 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 it's not. I just did what you weren't willing to do. And that is it. So it is the uncomfortableness, understanding that it's not going to kill you unless, of course, you're coming out of a plane without a parachute. That will probably will kill you. But it's just uncomfortableness. If you are cold and you go outside without a jacket and you walk down the street with just a T-shirt on at zero degrees, the instant feedback you get is it's cold. And so you walk around like this with your hands on your on your arms and you start shivering. That is feedback that says put a jacket on. If you don't put a jacket on, you will remain cold and your body will continually give you feedback and that will make you tired and it will it will fatigue you. And that is that is real. But answer to that feedback and put a jacket on, then you've solved the problem. And that's, you know, that's what it is really, isn't it? Definitely. Jess, I mean, uh, I've got probably a million other questions for you. And so... I'm thinking we might have to do another one of these at some point if you're if you're game for it. But I, I don't want to, well, unless there's any actually 24-hour races that are listening to this, then they, they might wish we were going a bit longer. For, but for, for most people, they're probably kind of coming up to sort of the, the end of the, the regular episode. So I've got some questions that I like to ask everybody before we, mm-hmm. before we wrap things mm-hmm. up. The first one is, what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did and how did you get through it? Well, we spoke about it at the very beginning, mm. actually, and that was this recent 1,000-kilometre mountain bike race. I guess the race itself was uncomfortable, but, of course, I knew that. The most uncomfortable thing about it was the decision to pull out, and we've discussed that really, in a nutshell, how I dealt with it was deciding, coming up with, um, I guess, a bit of feedback to myself of, if can I live with myself on Monday if I pull out of this race today? Will I regret it? And you've got to put yourself in that person in the future and go, will I regret Will I regret this, Jess? And you know it. You know it in your heart. You, you can feel it in your guts. You've really got to get in tune with yourself. And that's, that's really how I overcome most uncomfortable decisions is I, I really tune in to my gut, my heart, my soul and connect them all and go, is this the right decision? And you know it. You know most often we so are in tune with that. We just, we're afraid of listening, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it makes complete sense to me. What did you learn from about yourself from making that decision? As I said to you, you know, for the last, I guess, 10 years or so, I've been working towards becoming, I guess, a, a world champion and, and a national champion and and in, in the realm of 24-hour mountain bike racing, amongst other things. And I learnt that I guess I was probably, as much as I like to do these events for my own uncomfortableness and my own addressing of that, because you don't do these races to, to be comfortable, was that I'm no longer seeking credibility. And I thought I thought I had gotten to that point a couple of years ago, but I realised that I was still seeking that. And it was like this massive weight off my shoulder that said, you don't need to worry about whether people still think you're good or you're not. 
you are still a world champion. You are still a national champion. You have a great history. You're just a different person now. You're 45. You've got other goals you want to achieve. You, you still love riding your bike. You're still fit. You're still awesome. You don't have to go there anymore. Let's go find some other things. So I've been working on some other goals. And that will probably lead to the next question. But anyway, go on. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that segues nicely into the next question because what is the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do and why is that uncomfortable for you? Yeah, so this is really, it doesn't really sit with a an event or something, but the next uncomfortable thing for me to do is to stop filling the void. I have a real habit of filling my weekends, of filling my time, of doing as, you know, just cramming in as much as I can and I need it I guess I, I, I want to be bored I want to have I want to bring in some boredom into my life and that's really uncomfortable I know that sounds like a bit, a bit of a wussy sort of um, uncomfortable thing that I'm about to do but it's uncomfortable for me I think this is what I could be doing this is what I could be doing you know is this adding towards you know my grand goal uh, I've been working at my one percenters for so long that my one percenters now need to be, hey, you know what? Maybe you don't have to be uncomfortable all the time. Maybe you can be bring in a little bit of hot chocolate on the couch time. Maybe that is okay. Mm, <laughs> so mm. um, I know, as I said, I know that sounds kind of wussy, but I, I probably have one day a week where I chill, and that is new. That is new ground for me. So I could see that becoming a weekly habit. Cool. One cool. day a week where I, I choose to not fill. Yeah, I think that that's fantastic. Um, I mean, it's, there's a lot of people that to get uncomfortable means actually they need to get off the couch and get out and do things. But actually for other people that just kind of push with, with everything and just kind of keep on going, actually that, that discomfort is getting back onto the couch and, and just stopping and taking taking a little bit of time for themselves and taking a little bit of a, a wee bit of a break. And like it, it, people can vacillate between the two as well, is that sometimes you, you push really hard and sometimes you, you don't do, it, do anything, but mm. the, the discomfort can come in, in many forms there. And it, it sounds like it's still something that I'm going to have to do a little bit of work around to, to wrap yeah. your head around because I just caught you saying that this sounds quite wussy. So you're going to have to get that Jess on your shoulder to say, actually, no, this is okay. It's, it's yeah, all right. Look at it. You're not a wuss. Yeah. It is really good for my mental health and, you know, it, it sounds funny but, you know, it's taken this long. Uh, my daughter is 24 and uh, she's getting married next year and she plays netball in, in Colac, which is about 70 kilometres away, and she's the leading goal shooter in the league and I'm loving it. I, I stand on the sidelines watching my adult daughter play sport and um, we – that's Saturday afternoons, just chilling out, watching her play play sport. Yeah, so th there's a lot of joy in watching someone else, for sure. Nice, nice. Jess, I mean, we, we've talked a lot around this topic already, but do you have any other strategies that you use to approach uncomfortable situations? Yeah, well, look, I'd like to probably go over again about the realisation that there's the, the world has... I don't know how many billion of people in the world, there's a lot, but the situation that you're in right now that's causing you grief, 
is actually probably being experienced at least once before by some other human somewhere in the world and they survived. And so you've already spent a lot of time probably working out the worst thing that's going to happen to to you in this uncomfortable situation. So let's say that worst thing is that you die or, you know, you left a vegetable or something, you know, someone's going to hate you because you said something bad or you fail or, you know, the worst case scenario, you've invested all this time and effort in. Someone else has probably already been there before you and probably lived to tell the tale. So now that you know someone else has done it, you've already worked out the worst case scenario, why not? invest your time and effort now in well what if I what if it went well what if the best case scenario worked what if all this negativity that I'm giving this this uncomfortable situation what if I just park that for a moment and and invest in the positive imagine well you know if that happened yeah yeah I'd be happy with that well why not give it a chance because we all sit on the fence worried about what people are going to think what might happen what if I fail and then we never actually find out. So if you find out, you've already worked out what's going to happen if it goes wrong, so that's cool. Why sit on the fence wondering whether you coulda, woulda, shoulda? Why not just get uncomfortable? The most uncomfortable thing is taking the first step. Yeah. And once you just jump off that fence, it's easy. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. And, and I think like another important question probably to ask yourself with that strategy too is what's going to happen if nothing happens if it just stays the same and how does that stack up against the other options yeah very good point is exactly right okay so yeah if you do nothing are you happy with that otherwise if you are throw that thought away don't worry about it move on I I, I say this a lot to my athletes I say in or out in or out, in or out. I don't want to hear about it. Are you in or are you out? And then I bring in the, the Yoda comment, you know. I send him a little Yoda, um, you know, gif or something. Do or do not. There is no try. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yoda is just so wise, so wise. <laughs> he, he is. But, you know, that's it. That is absolutely it. Just there is no try, do or do not, in or out, in or out. Yeah, Jess, I mean, as I said, uh, I could talk to you for, for hours. i got a couple other quick questions for you, but I, sure. I just want to take a, a moment to say thank you so much for taking the time to, to sit down and have a bit of a chat with me tonight. It's been it's been amazing, and I'm sure that we'll, we'll have another chat again, hopefully sometime soon. But I also want to... I want to say thank you as well for having a chat with us about the different things that are uncomfortable and how they evolve over time because I mean you as, as you said you you weren't into well, sport and competition made you uncomfortable to start with and that was something that you needed to overcome as you as you got into into mountain biking for ridiculous distances and times but then actually you've you've kind of come full circle and it's uncomfortable now for you to well it has been uncomfortable for you to not be competitive and to deal with that so I yeah I I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts around that but also some around some of the strategies that you utilize to to coach yourself but also to to coach some of the clients that you work with as well it's been it's been very cool to hear 
Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed chatting with you, Chris. I hope we get to do it again soon. Oh, uh, we will. We will. First question for you should be reasonably easy. If people want to find out more about Jess or want to think, oh, actually, this is uh, this is a lady that I'd be quite keen to, to work with a little bit, what can they do? How can they do that? How can they support yep. you? Oh, the easiest way is just on my website, which is jessicadouglas.com. And it's just Jessica Douglas with one S on the Douglas.com. Or the, I am on Facebook as well, and you can messenger me. But that's the best way, yeah, there's a little info cool. thing on the website. Cool. Well, I'll make sure to link that up in the notes for the show. And final yep. question for you is, do you have a challenge to leave me and the listeners with this week? Yeah, look, I, I think the, the challenge every day you wake up is to add value to the world. And this is something that I do to myself. So sometimes we think that our actions actually have no impact. Even if we walk down the street and we're getting a couple of grocery items and we're bringing them home, if we look to add value to every tiny little movement and steps that we take into our life, then I just this is something that I feel I have control over because we too often in this day and age, we're worried about the big impact, about, you know, environmental change, population growth, you know, the deaths happening because of religion, you know, we feel that we possibly can't make an impact. But what about our own backyard? What about the people that we see and meet and, and, you know, in our own direct vicinity? Why can't we make an impact on that? And it's got nothing to do, I guess, I guess it might have something to do with being uncomfortable. But I often try and chat to people when I take my dog for a walk I'll stop and they might have a dog and I'll ask them about their life or something and just to get people to stop being so my life your life we're of parallels never to meet why can't we as humans be vulnerable and and open up our hearts just a little bit to everyone around us and and I think that makes a difference I think that makes a huge impact if we all did that, if we all just resonated a little bit with each other and opened up our hearts and were vulnerable, we would probably find that we would stop walking down the streets with our head up our ass and not saying hi to anyone because we're just people that want to be loved and valued. I think that's, a, that's an awesome challenge to finish up with, Jess. Thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today. Thank you, Chris. Well, there you have it, team. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Jess today. As I said, it was it was great fun talking to her, and I am sure to get her back on the podcast to delve into a few other big topics that she has an interest in. Now, if you liked that episode, make sure to share it out with your mates. Uh, it really helps support the show, get more people on board with becoming okay with, with being uncomfortable and making it easier for them to get out of their comfort zone. Another way that you can support the show is by clicking subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Uh, That just kind of drives us up the rankings and makes us more visible and gets this message into more people's ears and heads. And also what I've got coming up as well is hopefully a way to make it again a little bit easier for you guys to to get out of their comfort zone putting together an online course called surmount all about breaking out of your comfort zone and so that you can really take on any challenge that you want to so that should be coming up hopefully in the next month or two 
flick me a message on on Facebook or Instagram at uncomfortableisokay or send me an email uncomfortableisokay at gmail.com if that's something that you're interested in and I can make sure that I get all the details through to you once that course goes live. I want to just say thank you very much to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music for the podcast and thank you guys all so much for tuning in and getting uncomfortable with Jess and I today.